money cannot buy class. And that's one nuance that a lot of our generation and a lot of in our in the black community doesn't realize like a lot of uh, wealthy people that have come from money are very, very covert. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Privileged Black Kids with your host, Kendall Camp. On today's episode, I brought on HBCVC fellow and partner at Dorm Room Fund, Richard Clay. Um, Richard has a background in venture capital and engineering. We ended up discussing old money versus new money, the ins and outs of venture capital, and the impact AI might have on our future. Um, so I wanted to get this out the way. There are some Wi-Fi issues again because of these Zoom interviews. Basically what happened was the first 40 to 45 minutes, it was so bad I literally could not post it, like I could not edit the full thing. So I decided to post the back end of our conversation, which was still a lot of great stuff. So, you know, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, if you guys are listening right now, show me that you're tuned in by taking a screenshot and posting your Instagram stories that you're listening to the Privileged Black Kids podcast. Make sure to tag our official Instagram page, which is at Privileged Black Kids Podcast. I'll put the names to all that in the description. Also, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to hear more content of Privileged Black Kids and give a rate and review if you like this podcast as well. Make sure to share with all your family and friends and DM me on Instagram for any feedback. Again, thank you guys so much for love and support. And here's another episode of Privileged Black Kids. So Richard, kind of for yourself, maybe give more of a broad kind of sense of for a VC firm, if they have, you know, X amount of capital that they invest in a year, you know, how many deals are they probably funding and how many startups or pitches do they get a year? Like what is, is there a number you can kind of give an estimate? I think the top tier VC funds, because there is a hierarchy in this industry. Yeah. Are seeing and witnessing thousands and thousands of deals per year. And I would say probably less than 50 of these companies get funded. And then of those 50, they're following on investments of these 50. Hmm. Of, of the companies that are less, less that actually get funded, the rest, they're, they just, what they intend to do is, is just follow on funding for the life of that fund. And so that's why the number is so small in terms of percentage of companies that get funded. It's because if you're thinking as a venture capitalist and you only have so many people working at that fund that are, there's only so many people sourcing, people can only handle so much at one time, right? So mm-hmm. p- people have to get a meeting with that one person on top of getting a meeting with that one person. They then have to be selected to make it to the final stages of even being taken serious because that's part of the willingness to do the due diligence. Cause even getting to that point, still requires picking and then once you get to that due diligence process you have to make it past that filtering process within the due diligence if you're if the company based off of all the research and due diligence has been done if the company is worth it and so that's why it's so small because you have to look at what what the whole process looks like you have to look at from a data standpoint what does it look like to get to the top and if you only have like a couple associates, a couple partners, and say each associate is listening to like, I don't know how many deals would they be listening to a week or a month? Imagine that number and then 
dub like filter down and cut that in half and then cut that number in half. That's your batch of companies. That's, that's the portfolio right there. And then based off of that portfolio, they don't intend to invest in anything new. They only intend to do follow on investments of those current companies that they're in, that are in their portfolio. Cause if they aren't follow on investing, why, if they, if they don't follow on invest on the company, that can affect the company and how they, that company fundraises. So once you invest, you're in, you're in to, for it to win it. So if you yeah. don't follow that's, on that's, invest, that's typically what yeah. if we're talking early stage, it's a seven to 10 year process. Yes. Yes. And that's, and, and it's things like that, that really make it super, super difficult for us as black founders and, and people that aren't of the cle- the common an, uh, anatomy and makeup because we're competing against, because even people that are our white counterparts still don't get funding. There's actually quite a few, even though, you, even if they're not minority, some, all of them still have to compete in that process. And so we're competing against competition that can't even win either. So you can imagine why it is the way it is, you know, yeah. and let alone, let alone working at that VC fund or even having the authority to make a decision is even tighter of a bottleneck. So, you know, it's things like that, you know. So for the kind of the, for the black community, you know, what are certain things about entrepreneurship or venture capital that you think we're often taught that is wrong or just certain things that, you know, maybe when you were younger or even I guess myself, you was like, yeah, this actually wasn't true. And we don't have to get into like the whole like, you know, stuff about um, debt and total personal finance, but more on kind of the entrepreneurship stuff mm-hmm. or group economics. Um, yeah. You know, what are things that you feel like the black community could do better or things we were miseducated on? Wow. Yeah. Miseducation is real. You know, I think more so than miseducation, misinformation, right? Because we're so used to what we eat and what we output based off of what we intake is reflective of the misinformation that we've received. So if we're consuming all this bad data, how it's amazing how far we have come in the midst of consuming all this bad information, mm-hmm. whether it's the image about ourselves, uh, you know, what success looks like to us, what we can and can't do. Look how far we've come with everything that we've eaten in life and through the generations. And yet we still have made it. Right. And so imagine if that information was cleaned, which I think and I believe people are starting to do and starting to be aware of. Imagine that information was cleaned and we started ingesting clean information and clean data and clean food where we would be amidst amidst all the things we have done. We'd be on we'd literally demolish all people that try to compete with us. You know what I'm saying? So. I think that um, what has been with that information that I consider misinformation is, is that, A, if we're getting a little bit political, is that if you're Black, you have to be a Democrat, first and foremost, because that right there is already a red flag to me. That's like saying, oh, if, if you are Black and your ancestral ties are tied to the slave trade, you should be this, which is the doing the exact same thing 
that was happening in the Jim Crow era. If you are black, you have to go to this stall. The whole point of civil rights, the whole point of what Martin Luther King was fighting for was for us to have an opinion, not mm-hmm. the opinion. And so he didn't say necessarily pro-black, black power, pro this, everything black. Yes, that is needed to counteract all the um, experiences that we have had to go through. But he said equal. He didn't say, he didn't say over equal, which is in a way of uh, uh, oxymoron. But it's like, we have to think better and think more highly of ourselves, starting in the homes and in our communities, right? Like a lot of us are coming from broken homes and it's not just black, it's also other poor communities that aren't black. Broken homes and in those broken homes, the children are being raised to believe entrepreneurship as this bubble that is separate. The same clause of Jim Crow of separate but equal. The same way that black boy looks at the restaurant and can't sit at that counter because it's separate. Oh, you belong here. Mm -hmm. So what I believe is like, yeah, why are we being categorized to have to believe in these concepts? Why do you have to be Democrat? Why can't you have an opinion that's different? Even if people disagree. The whole point of being equal is to be in disagreements, not in agreements. So I think that's a lie that we've been told. Secondly, I think when it comes to money and symbolisms of freedom, I think we've been misinformed too. I think we've been so psychologically enslaved to believe that freedom looks like this. Freedom looks like that Mercedes Benz. Freedom looks like that Louis bag. Freedom is wearing the nice Jordans on the street and having that nice fit at the club. Oh, freedom is having them a pocket full of hundreds and throwing in the strip club. Freedom is everything but real freedom, right? Because if you look at it, that stuff isn't freedom. It's actually glorified enslavement. And that's what it, that's what it is all about. And so I think free, real freedom is not, is a choosing to not do that stuff and having your own leverage by choosing not to do that stuff. And I think we've been so psychologically enslaved to believe that this is what freedom looks like. This is what it is to be successful. And it's not just black community, it's actually everywhere in our society and how they program us to spend and consume, that it's all about controlling people. And and I think that's what really uh, we've been misled to, to believe. And so when you tie it to venture and building wealth, you know, you look, you, you, when you get in this industry and you start understanding how they spend money, you start to realize like a different frequency of what it means to be free. It's no longer about accumulation of material resources, it's no longer about accumulation of, of this stuff that is zero sum and that y- it doesn't mean anything once you have it anymore. Besides this uh, putting off this vibe that I have it and you don't and I'm better or I have it and it's exclusive and I'm cool. But then what? You know, it's like, okay, you're okay, then what? We all can die tomorrow. And you're telling me that was your that's what your life meant. So it's stuff like that. And I think if we start uh, moving away from this stuff that we associate with the black community, I think we're really we're really gonna be ahead of a lot of other cultures because look of how far we've come amidst of what we've been eating. So if we eat differently, imagine how much more we could output. So that yeah. that's what I think about that, man, you know. You know, I want to hit on something that I think, and partially it's media, it's Instagram, like we're always on it, but 
you know yeah. when uh you on instagram and you see some black dude with chains jordans and it's like yeah. this isn't real wealth and then they have a picture of like jeff bezos or mark zuckerberg with his like simple blue or black tee and he's like wearing nothing something that's not talked about and i wish was said more white people do spend money they just do in different ways yes so yeah. for us us being black our our kind of way of like showing off we have money is a mercedes uh those new those new yeezys you know something like that but for white people it's different it's exclusive golf clubs um traveling taking your family to an island um art is another thing that a lot of people forget people spend a lot of money on art pieces and invest in that and you know i think people sometimes forget that you know white people do spend money too it's not mm -hmm. just we're the only consumers of everything like white people do that they just have different ways of you know saying they have money so if you're a white dude who goes to whatever school or has done that and you're very successful you're gonna be like hey i'm in this golf club in la i'm doing great or if it's mm -hmm. you or me like we went to an hbcu a lot of times our way of saying we're successful is saying hey yeah i just bought this porsche you know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know to each its own but kind of like what are your thoughts on when you hear that type of stuff about what actual wealth is and how people consume? I think I would actually push back a little bit and I would actually say a lot of white people actually do like material possessions. I see a lot of white people driving. I'll see quite a few white people, especially, you know, if, if I'm going to visit my grandparents in LA, uh, a lot of Porsches, a lot of, it, yeah. it, I think it's very cultural. I don't think it's necessarily black, white, this, and this is what black people do, this is what white people do. I think it's very cultural niche to communities. So when you're in an area like Hollywood, that's what the culture is all about. You got it, you flaunt it. But e even on the East Coast or even in ATL, like you'll see white people that have luxury items and they will show it off. Um, but I would say like, it's more, um, I would say for black Americans, and even uh, in niche communities, it's more like when you've never seen it, when it's never been in your family from like birth or even it, no, no ties to anything money related, like zero, like I'm talking dirt, dirt, dirt. Yeah. And you have like your parents you see a, a specific type of struggle and then you start associating it and you only see people that look like you. That's when it starts to become cyclical and you start to get, you get caught up in that. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, I have nothing. I came from the hood. Like, you know, and, and that's why, that's why you'll see that it's like that constipation. It's like, Oh, well now that you have it and you're past that breaking point, you're kind of compensating for everything you couldn't have in your lineage. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's a balanced thing. So like when you're talking about white people that come from money and they, and they don't seem to flash like that, trust me, they will buy luxury items. Mm -hmm. They just don't show it off the same way. If you go into their house and they invite you, then you might see some of it, but they're yeah. not going to go all on the gram and yeah, be like, not, Oh yeah. I hate coming to my mm -hmm. guests off, but that's a good point because, um, I was reading something about like Kylie Jenner and like mm -hmm. Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, and then living in Calabasas. And there's neighbors, of course, everybody has money, but there are neighbors that got mad at the at Kylie Jenner because Kylie Jenner has all her cars around. But in that society, kind of in Calabasas, in that, in that area of a lot of wealth, everybody has nice things. We're not really supposed to show it off and have it all out and about. 
unless somebody invites you into your home. Yeah. You know, another thing I know too, let me add to this. There is a nuance between old money and new money, right? Mm -hmm. And you're starting to see all this new money. New money likes to make their money off of being flashy. It's very showy. It's very inviting. It's very like, this is what, this is also the meaning of the great Gatsby, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and if you listen, if you look, people that have read that literature, that is a very perfect representation of the very clear line that is drawn between new money and old money. Gatsby, in a way, you could argue he's a representation of the new money. And the opposing party uh, was a representation of old money. You can't, money cannot buy class. And that's one nuance that a lot of our generation and a lot of in, our, in the Black community doesn't realize, like, a lot of uh, wealthy people that have come from money are very, very covert. You do, they do not want to be seen. They do not want to be associated with newer money. They think it's beneath them. Um, I'm talking like old money, like Rothschild. Like these are global names, uh, got their money from Blood Diamond. Mm -hmm. uh, people that are involved, that are in really old money tied to the financial system, the banking and, and um, gold, or even um, other industries where they made other money that was old. This money that originated from the slave trade right? That money is still the wealth that, that controls the resources of this country, whether people acknowledge it or not. Whether or not you've made money in this new era we have with tech and podcasting and, 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 being, and being able to go viral on, on platforms, they still don't have leverage. They still in, indirectly have to answer to old money. And that's what I mean. And that's what I'm starting to observe. It's like, You'll see all the, they have all these cars, but guess what will happen? If the neighbors start complaining, that would, that uh, hurts the value of that place. That hurts the value of that entire community. When you see like, for example, like I hate to say this, Chris Brown is my man, like, right? Chris Brown is my icon. I love Chris Brown dancing and the music and stuff like that. But his neighbors complain about uh, the stuff going on in that community that, that he invites when he has these big parties or when, he was on the news in the helicopter. You think you think wealthy, rich white people that are comfortable want to deal with that stuff? No. They the reason the whole point that they what they've done is to not be around that. So this is what my mom told me. She she taught me this. She's like, you can get people out the ghetto, but you cannot get the ghetto out of them. That is what I mean when you say money cannot buy class. And then I've actually been to Chris Brown's house. I've seen his house when he had like when he invited everybody for his yard sale. I'm not is trying it, to hate. Just, just to clarify, is it in a gated community? Like, how, wait, how do you actually? It's not in a gated, his, he, he is not in a gated community. He mm. is, you can, you, his driveway is open. Now he has a fence to get past a certain point to be near his front door, but he lives on a hill and you can move up the hill. But what I'm trying to say is this, even my mom made a comment. And she's like, when we drove up the driveway, we, we drove past his house because my parents live like 11 miles away from him. Mm -hmm. and, he, and by the way, he put out his address publicly. So it, it's kind of no secret where he lives. Yeah, but he like, has a bunch of videos like on YouTube yeah, about his house. So yeah. it's not that hard to find. And then, yes, exactly. And so my mom made a comment. She's like, this is a, this is a higher end community. Why does he have a fence that looks like a dog cage? That's not common custom practice over there. There's... And when you, and then if you look at the the where he put his house and what the land looks like, it doesn't look like 
what someone with affluence would do to their yard. That's not what people do with that, that are used to living in there. So that right there automatically can destroy, lower the value of that place. And if the value is lowered, what do you think people are going to do? They're going to leave. They're going to leave. And this is what's, yes, this is what's happening in New York right now with COVID. Rich people are leaving. Rich people are leaving. People that control the resources are leaving. And when, unfortunately, when they leave, it's not a good sign for the economy. You don't mm -hmm. want to hurt the people that have, are highly leveraged in the economy. And so I think people fail to recognize this. And, um, you know, and so... That's how I think, man. I think there's a lot to be said about that. So you're uh, yeah. what you were saying about the whole house thing, bro. I was watching uh, a podcast. It was like an old podcast episode. It was Jalen Rose and Jacoby, people who are really interested in ESPN basketball, all that stuff. Go mm -hmm. check it out. And they were talking about um, this old. I don't know if you know the uh, player on the Lakers used to play, Andrew Bynum. Mm -hmm. And Andrew had the same situation to where he kept getting complaints because his house it was loud they were playing music it was really mm. he would they were like racing cars up the street and having these crazy parties and a lot of the white people around i guess in that area that had i guess a lot of money were saying yeah um we don't like this can you keep this down this is not hurting the value of the property and it's something else i noticed too and don't get me wrong like i'm not from a rough area I, you know i have i have a good mm -hmm. amount of privilege from my background but I've heard like in the hood, like people are all friends, like people, you, you know, you know, your neighbor, you've talked to them at one point, like people kind of just live, but in really mm -hmm. like established wealthy communities, it's not like that. Like you might, you mm -hmm. you'll have neighbors and you've never met them, mm -hmm. which is yep, totally that's how it is. Yep. Yep. I live in a neighborhood like that. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm in a super rich neighborhood, but I would say that, you know, we live in a relatively good community in Bowie, Maryland. And we only know people next to us, to our left, a little bit, and then one person across from us, and that's it. We don't even talk. We kind of like, sometimes we don't even like acknowledge each other. We're outside and maybe it's like a slight wave, but you're kind of like too caught up in your own space. And like, mm -hmm. you want your own privacy where you kind of don't want to take that initial step to actually have a conversation with them. But like, I, that's interesting you said that in the hood, if it's like that, then that's great. You know, that's really good for community. But when you're in a home that's established, I, uh, I would definitely uh, co-sign with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I kind of wanted some of your takes on group, group economics, you know, kind of define what group, group economics is to the people and how we can use it to leverage and get things ourselves. Because, you know, a lot of times you're making investments you know, you can only do so much with the amount of money you have, but if you can put that together with other people, you can do something maybe greater. So kind of what is your stance or kind of thoughts on group economics? And if you were for yourself right now, how would you try to get into it? Whether that's, you know, maybe real estate you could touch on, like, what are your thoughts? You know, group, I think group economics is, um, I think we can keep beating a dead horse when it comes to the importance of it. And and building wealth and the in the value of sharing and, and really leaning on each other because that's what a startup is all about really a startup is really all about group economics and so like i think it's uh you'll see communities like chinatowns uh greek communities um italian communities jewish communities uh indian bangladesh like all of, 
people that have been able to come to America and form their own mini cities, like Chinatown, for example, the only way they could have done that is through group economics. I think we're black, the black community is probably one of the only, the very few communities that doesn't execute as much because of the history that we have with each other and the history we have with our ancestors being here. So the seed was not properly planted. And if we did group economics with the seed, we were punished or killed, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, I, if they try to condemn the black community saying, oh yeah, like, oh, you know, why y'all don't do this and y'all don't do that. Well, well you, can't, you can't condemn people that didn't have that seed that current communities that come here do. And it's different, it wasn't the same. And so there's, and there's also a spiritual, there's spiritual ties to this too. It's a generational spirit that we're dealing with when it comes to enslavement. And I know it sounds like we're being a dead horse we teach talking about slavery, mm -hmm. but people need to understand what it means to, to be here. And if you think about this, check this. I learned this uh, when, uh, last week on a Thursday. And it's in this one man, I was talking to this man, he's very involved in politics in the DC scene, has helped a lot of political candidates fundraise and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He said, race is capitalism's business. Race is the business of capitalism. That race was the crux of how capitalism incubated. Without race, there was no capitalism. And so when you're, when you're dealing with a, a, a capitalist society where the history was profited, where the profiting history was because of race, you can't blame people that are just going with what history has told them. The same way white people are going with their ancestral roots and how old money still produces wealthy children. They go off of their ancestral roots. So you can't blame them. So it's hard to, you can't really condemn uh, the black community for not doing group economics. And I would say it's a group economics all about sacrifice and um, belief in each other, um, trust in one another and uh, entrepreneurial spirits that believe that there is an end and that there is hope there is a, a bounty waiting for us at the end of the road that's the only way you could kind of like survive and think about economics in a healthy way right you can't go through it kind of like miserably you have to have fun but just like a startup you have to know there is an end to this this rough journey mm -hmm. and um it will come everything shall come to pass so it's stuff like that that's how I think of group dynamics. Okay, no, I like that. And, uh, you know, just kind of seeing, I, I really, it's really kind of cool seeing how you tied history into group economics and finance and venture capital. Um, you know, I, I guess one of the, you know, I guess a couple other things I've kind of wanted to hit on is kind of your thoughts on the future of technology. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really today kind of want to talk more about artificial intelligence and machine learning. Before we mm -hmm. kind of kick off that, that kind of subtopic, have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix? I have. I have. So for people who haven't watched it, um, The Social Dilemma is basically a documentary about many of the cons of social media, of how these supercomputers kind of use, I guess those the supercomputers and algorithms use themselves to keep you on the app more. So for instance, Instagram, Twitter, it's going to throw you things that's going to keep you on the application, whether that's 
a friend. Um, it might be something political that you agree with. They're going to keep throwing at the, that you more. Um, mm. Anything that just keeps you on the application to, of course, they have advertisers and the advertisers, mm -hmm. you know, they want them to keep paying money so they can, you know, have a greater market cap or just a better business. Um, and then also, too, they talked about the political side. We don't have to get into the whole Cambridge Analytics and how the 2016 election was not, I don't want to say rigged, but certain things happened that was not fair. And, you know, I guess I want your thoughts on it because as somebody who is an engineer, somebody who is interested in venture capital, you know, what are your thoughts on the social dilemma and what it meant and kind of even how it might affect your life or how you invest in things or what products you, what products you, you create? Yeah. Well, hmm. this one is an interesting one. I think, I think the key word is exploitative, right? It's all about exploiting people's weaknesses and getting them to, in a way, you could argue unethically do things because of the exploitation involved. And they mentioned a critical quote of people, whoever has seen the show, they're like the only industries that you, that, um, call humans users is the drug industry and software world and so you know it's kind of one of those things where they did what they had to do mm -hmm. just like any other business in any other industry but we just so happen to be the product yeah and i think when people are the product it becomes really really gray with what you can and can't do and because there's really no one in there to keep them in check, they will continue to do what capitalism does best, you know? And, and so I think, um, I think there, what I think on that is that when it comes to using people and targeting people and understanding what it is they like, it's not so different from going to the mall and seeing a sign that's red versus a sign that's in blue. Mm -hmm. There's psychological, like the studies have already been done. It's like, it's not like what they were doing was, oh, this is evil. They've been, they're just doing what has already been done and taught when it comes to marketing and tactics, consumers, when it comes yeah. to, gr yeah, growth hacking. They just did it on a technical platform and at scale and they won and they did good at it. So this is where it comes into, the attention that the media likes to emphasize on certain things and they'll pick and choose, right? And I don't necessarily think that it's fair to say, oh, well, the right had a bigger advantage than the left, because I guarantee you the left was doing the same exact thing. They just didn't win. And also, like, I guarantee you it was already being done um, without Facebook. Mm -hmm. it, it just wasn't emphasized. So, I mean, I agree with what they're saying. I, I acknowledge it. And I think um, I, I commend the people that have come out to uh, educate the public and the common man on what has been happening. But I also think that we'd be naive to think this is it and to think this is the only time it has happened. Because I think history and this is what propaganda is all about. It's all about targeting people's weaknesses and exploiting them to control them and get what they want. Mm -hmm. So, and that had nothing to do with money, by the way. I mean, they made money, but when it comes to controlling people, I think the whole point money exists is to be able to control people. 
So if, if you think of it like that, it changes what you think of money to be. Money, money is important. Money does garner you some sort of leverage and some sort of power, but having all the money is not necessarily having all the power. Mm-hmm. So you can, someone will out leverage you in one way or another. Yeah. So, I just yeah. feel the doc. I wish this is me getting nitpicky. It's just, it's kind mm-hmm. of funny to see a bunch of like highly successful product managers for or former product managers of certain companies then come out and say this, this, and this, where it's like, yo, the amount of money that you made at these tech companies or what you got on stock options, that's the reason you're sending your kid to private school. Like mm-hmm. these, this is what funded things for your family and hopefully other generations. So it did well for you, but to come out and say like, oh, and some of the stuff you don't know when you're creating a product, I don't think people create products to like, make the world a worse place in my opinion like i don't think mm-hmm. that's when people say oh i want to do this yes but a lot of times when things get very big other people get affected that you might have not even thought of like you think zuckerberg mm-hmm. when he was like think of it he was what a sophomore in college when he created yep. facebook you think he was thinking yeah. about like the government and different languages and war like you're not thinking about that stuff you know yeah so, yep. no not at all not at all so it's just, and I, mm, it's just yep. something that, you know, it's something that you have to kind of over, over time, try to fix. And it's gotten to a point where it's so hard and, you know, we don't have to get into everything about Facebook, but, you know, I just, the other thing about the documentary too, it was so, it, it really hit on people's emotions and that's cool. But like, at the end of the day, like these phones, like you can turn it off. You don't have to have Instagram. Like there's no rule yeah. to saying you have to use the application and the yeah. certain things you can do, whether that's turning off notifications, unfollowing certain people, the algorithm is made for you. So you control what you like and how long you look at a thing. So you yep. can, you're still in control of the application. It's not, it's not, it's not the app. Yes. And, and that's how I agree with you. And you highlighted a very important point at the end of the day, we have the ability to choose and we have the ability to choose to talk about it, which we're doing. And what people fail to recognize is it's other countries. We will not have this forum. If we were in China, we would not be able to have this forum. We would not be able to expose what has Mm -hmm. happened. And we would not be able to decide for ourselves, whether it's something we agree or disagree with. You have to agree. (laughs) If you don't Mm -hmm. agree, say goodbye to your family and children. And it's really like that. It really is like that. And I, and I don't think people realize, you know, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay to bring it to light, but don't start weaponizing the media against people for having an opinion. Even if you know they're wrong, let them have the opinion. So the whole point is to have a minority, right? You don't want it to be all agreeing with each other. And then only one person disagrees. And then everybody condemns that one person for being evil. We become just like the evil. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. Like, there's a Zuckerberg created a forum for people to choose. He did not control people's actions. He allowed people. He did what he did to scale and grow and become valuable, just like any successful company in a capitalist world would. However, people could be mad about what you can and can't do on the platform. But again, it's up to you. You have the and there's, there to were so many positive things, like even before we met, like uh Fair Doomer Fund, because of a platform like LinkedIn, I can look at your background, I can see what he's interested in, I can then either create questions or have a theme before I get on a conversation. Before it's like 
we would have just talked on the phone and knew nothing about each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You see, and without LinkedIn, I probably wouldn't be able to be here. Without a lot of these things, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So if anything, there's both positives and negatives to anything, but don't condemn the person for giving people the opportunity. You know, that, that it's the person's choice. If you're going to condemn somebody, condemn the person that hurt people directly, not the person that just created that people for, to choose, right? So I respect people that create things. Um, and I also respect them for knowing like, oh yeah, there's a good and a bad side. But, and they allow people to choose. They don't force people to choose one thing. It's oppressive. So that's kind of, if we get into politics now, that's why I don't agree with socialist mentality and communist mentalities, because even though it's good intentioned, human nature does not work in a utopia like that, as we have seen in the past. Yeah, everybody's good. <laughs> everybody's good. And every, anybody, everybody's good. And everybody's relative is, is relative. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's good is somebody else's evil. So if you're good is you're good. Why would you think that that's the only good there is? Why would you think, oh, everybody needs to do this? No, not everybody is like you. Not everybody believes in that. People ha- should have a right to choose. And I think capitalism is in a way the only system that kind of works for, to do that. Um, but what needs to happen is there needs to be some forgiveness and, and dialogue um, with the black community, with capitalism as a concept. We yeah. need to accept it, make, come to terms with it, and then get in the game. We can't just keep looking at it and being upset at it. We have to accept it, forgive it, and actually make it better than how, than how it did us, you know? So, and I think that's the really hard part our community has a hard time um, doing, so. Yeah, I guess, I'm wondering more on your thoughts really about artificial intelligence. You know, a lot of big people have different opinions, whether, Elon Musk to where he seems like he's not on, you know, the grid side of it. He talks more about the bad side. And then you have other people to where, um, I think I was trying to think of Bezos. I'm trying to forget somebody else who is really pro AI, but kind of your thoughts on artificial intelligence and what the future of it is. And, you know, just your thoughts. I think that um, when it comes to artificial intelligence, it's important to put the conviction in the person that created the algorithm, not the robot, right? Not Mm -hmm. the entity. Mankind has dominion over the universe. We have dominion over this world. We create whatever is, is, is being used by us. We have dominion over it. We control what happens. So when you have a robot that appears to be controlling things without our permission, it is deceptive. Mm-hmm. right it's not real to the extent that we think so it's important to not confuse it artificial intelligence may indeed be able to make its own decisions for efficiency however it does it does not have dominion over us as human beings we have dominion over it because we created objects so whoever wrote the algorithm has the conviction they're responsible for whatever has happened now when it comes to i think the debate is is when it comes to autonomous driving is usually what, what people are thinking about. Yeah. People are not, I don't think people are willing to put that decision in the power of a robot, you see? Because mm-hmm. ultimately we decide who is gonna live or die 
if the car is coming too fast and the light is green due to a malfunction in the code or the light is green just because the light is green this happened to me the other day mm-hmm. and the dog is coming and they're in the middle of the street and then the the bicycle is entering coming the opposite way the car somebody's going to die the dog either the dog is going to die or the or the guy riding the bike is going to die Mm-hmm. Who's gonna li- who's gonna live and die? And I don't think people are ready for that decision. I don't think people for th- are ready for the robot to make that decision. And it's stuff like that that um, people really need to be careful if they're pro AI. They need to be very very careful into why they're pro AI, and they need to understand what the ramifications are from a three hundred sixty degree standpoint, not just what the benefits are, because no no price. And it could, it may not have been a dog. It could have been a crowd of children. Mm-hmm. There is no price that you can put on a human being. There's no price that's worth it. Even if you make all this money, people are people and you don't kill people. That's just like killing for profit. You don't do mm-hmm. that. That's not ethical. And so it's, I, it's, I don't agree. And then also like Peter Thiel said, AI is the communist as cryptocurrency is to democracy. And he is mm-hmm. right. Because AI, when you give person with more leverage the ability to control AI, usually the government, for a people that is oppressed in China, it is not going to go well. You're talking, you're talk, think of what happened to, to in the Holocaust at scale across the world. And think of, think of the, think of choices that people have the ability to make with a technology like that with the military power that it has it's not it's not good man and so i don't think i don't think um people also realize what that means for other countries that don't give their people a choice and us being as us we need to be aware of that because they will target us they want to control they don't care what we think we they don't care if we believe in black lives matter or equality or justice they have the leverage so if they have the leverage you think our government can just tell them hey you're not supposed to do that no they out leverage us now so we are no longer in a world of freedom like we think and that's Mm -hmm. why i get back to what freedom means like as black people we need to really understand what it means to be free so yeah man that's how i think about that yeah no i mean in my opinion, AI, it gets really complex. You could go, you go in so many different ways to where a lot of times I can't even give like a definitive definition if AI is good or bad. Um, and I think people have to think this is going to take a lot longer than people actually think AI is going to be implemented in certain things. Like you're saying autonomous driving, um, for somebody to make a decision as far as either the car or the bike or the dog, like, I don't know how long that's going to take, but it's not, I don't see it coming very fast. You know, these are, very complex decisions that deal with governments that deal with the providers that, you know, create these technologies. Yep. These, are, these are certain questions that we've never had to face before. So mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see how things go. Um, I guess kind of the last point, you know, as far as this podcast, more back to you, you know, what are some of your future plans? Like what are some of your aspirations for yourself? I aspire to scale the startup I'm working on. I'm in the social game. I'm kind of, we're kind of in this gray area. We're in the social gaming space and consumer space. I aspire to scale that. Um, I also aspire to get a more, a a better footing and building conviction around defense tech. 
Um, and hopefully I can help entrepreneurs that are doing the really, really hard things in that world get what they need to scale. And also I aspire to, you know, really just um, be an example of what is possible, not what it's supposed to be. So, yeah, man, that's okay. all. Okay, I love that. You brought the community about, you know, enhancing your startup and just doing good things. Um, Richard, course, honestly, man. you know, thank you so much for coming on. I know it's kind of like a, I wouldn't say a long-winded conversation, but we had a lot to talk about. And uh, yeah, man, this is for real. It just means a lot. Yeah, definitely, man. Anytime. Uh, happy to happy to chat it up another time, and maybe we can all see the growth that happens. You know, in a, in a couple in a couple of years or so. You know, whenever you, you invite me on next time. So. Yeah, no, definitely. definitely. Um, but yeah, this is another episode of Privileged Black Kids with your host Kendall Camp. If you like that episode of Privileged Black Kids, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Um, follow us on Instagram at Privileged Black Kids Podcast. I will share and put all of Richard's information in the description um, to reach out to him on LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, also, just thank you guys so much for love and support. You know, it's been a lot trying to do these episodes while I'm, you know, doing internships and doing school. And you guys just, you know, being supportive has really helped me out because definitely this stuff can be tough to do and kind of manage everything. So um, just thank you guys so much. And thank you guys for listening to that episode of Privileged Black Kids.